This episode of Bright Hearth is brought to you by the Kings Ridge Elderberries and our supporters at Patreon.com. In today's show, we'll be dealing with some issues that could be difficult for some listeners, including sexual and other kinds of abuse and how to handle these things in the context of a Christian's pursuit of peace with all men. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul urges us, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. This season, we've been talking through the Christian duty to be at peace with all men insofar as it is up to us, as well as the practical mechanics of how to pursue this peace. The scriptures have much to say, and this is one of those issues that is central, not peripheral to the Christian life. Because we live in a fallen world, we will have to deal with sin. Sin with your kids, sin with your spouse, your church, your friends, really sin all over the place. What about serious sins? What about sins that are also crimes? There are categories of sin that we must be equipped to handle, categories where it's helpful to have a plan ahead of time, to have thought through certain things before the issues arise so that you can act appropriately in emotionally heated and complicated situations. So in this episode, Lexi and I will talk about different types of situations where you might need this kind of preparation and what to do about them. Welcome back to Bright Hearth, everybody. Brian and Lexi are here talking about making tough calls tonight. Yes, we. Uh, you probably already got this in the cold open to some extent, but just so you know where we're headed here, um, we're dropping in with what's probably going to be a quick episode, but one that we thought was important that we do Um, Just because we've been talking so much about peacemaking in this season and about covering offenses, how to walk through Matthew 18, but we've gotten this question a few times already to our, um, we have that form open where people can send in questions for the next Q&A season that we're going to do, which you should keep doing, by the way. And uh, one of the questions we've gotten a few times is just, um, that's really relevant to this season, is a couple different ways of saying basically, but what aren't there situations where you shouldn't necessarily follow Matthew 18 in order? What about certain extreme circumstances, crimes, abuse, things like that? And so we thought it was important that we do talk about and kind of get clear on a few of these issues so that you will, uh, especially when we're talking about emotionally charged situations, know what to do ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to do all your thinking on the fly. Something I was thinking about yesterday, maybe you could speak to this, is like just the fact that it is normal for pastors to have issues like this. It doesn't mean you're a bad pastor. It means that sinners are coming to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Because some people might hear you say that and think, wow, he's probably had some weird stuff happen in his church. He's a lame pastor. Yeah, that must be a weird church. No, it's not. In fact, I think the statistics right now, because of failure to disclose, we're talking about things like sexual abuse, child abuse, spousal abuse, domestic violence, suicide threats. Those are the sort of extreme cases that we're talking about. You would be shocked at the statistics, and and pretty much everybody agrees that these statistics are underreported because so many victims aren't able to report a crime. I mean, think about children, yeah, people who just are too fearful to or too ashamed in many cases, horrible, horrible situations. So, I mean, I think it's like one in one in three to one in five women will experience some sort of sexual uh, abuse or assault in their life. 
is the statistics that I found. And then men as well, it's like one in five to one in seven, somewhere in that range. So it's very, very serious and um, unfortunately very common in the world that we live in, being a fallen world with sin uh, and everything, every aspect of human life has been corrupted by sin and touched by sin. So that means that when you have a church of even 50 people or 100 people or 200 people, and then you factor, you know, over a decade or two decades or three decades, you just are going to have to deal with this somewhere. In our church, we've we've had, I've had to call CPS before. Uh, I've had to make reports to law enforcement surrounding issues of uh, abuse. Obviously, we're going to speak very, very generally here, but we've even had situations, multiple situations, believe it or not, that include murder. Uh, people in our uh, church being murdered and also children involved in some of those. So it's it's pretty intense, and uh, you're right, it is common. Yeah, I just think the woke crowd might hear that and think you're a weirdo, and you're not. It's just what happens. Like people, the average Christian is not counseling as intensely as a pastor or yeah, you know, counsel. I've done a lot of counseling for our church, so the average person just might hear that and be like, "There's something wrong with that church," and it's it's not. It really is just people, mm-hmm. you know. In, yeah. so, in some of the incidents, you just even reference, you didn't even know the people involved until, you know, you're showing up there in the midst of, of a, of a traumatic circumstance, trying to pastor them through it. And you're finding all this stuff out. So, yep. Yep. So we've had to deal with both, um, as every church does, when you start pastoring, you're basically turning the lights on in different corners of people's lives. Um, and the word of God does this as it's preached. Uh, it turns the lights on, like in that verse that we read in the cold open from Ephesians, the light comes on, anything exposed to the light becomes visible. And so it's actually a mark of a healthy church when you have sins of all shapes and sizes coming to light, from garden variety sins all the way through to very serious sins like marriage, adult, uh, adultery within marriage, fornication, even up to and including violence and um, issues like that. So it's important that we know how to handle these, that we follow biblical protocol for, for justice, and again, knowing what biblical justice looks like ahead of time will help you not have to, like, in, in an emotional moment, come up with new principles or sort of think through it for the first time. So we're, we're basically broadly in this episode just going to try to give you some, some a thumbnail sketch of how to think through and be prepared to handle biblical peacemaking and conflict in the context of really difficult situations where... Sins have been committed that are often also crimes. And one of the first things that's really helpful to think through, just on a foundational level, is to remember the different spheres of government and authority that exist in the world that God made. God rules the whole world. Christ rules over all things. Um, like Remember Psalm 2, the Son has been begotten from the dead, and he's supposed to ask the Father, and the Father gives him all things. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. Christ rules over all things, Psalm 110, from the right hand of the Father. And that means he rules over visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things are made through him and for him. But Christ does not rule in all of those places in the same way. He rules, for example, over the government of self, differently than the government of church, differently than the government of family, differently than the government of the civil sphere. Uh, in the self-government, he calls us to rule our own spirits, to obey him, be self-controlled, and a person is to essentially rule over themselves 
and say self, submit to Christ. In the family government, God gave a mother and a father, a husband and a wife, to rule over children and to discipline and love them and care for them and um, tell the children, you must obey me, and uh, to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Within the marriage, even, God established that the husband is the head of his wife, and so he is to rule in the domain of the family as Christ loves his bride and you know orders her the, the, that domain for her good and lays his life down. The church government is to be ruled by elders, which is a word, by the way, Paul uses. Elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of a double honor. Elders, pastors, overseers are to rule well in the church. And then in the civil government, uh, civil magistrates are to rule uh, well and punish the wrongdoer and praise the good. In each of these spheres, God gives different tools of correction. God gives the rod to the family. God gives the keys of the kingdom, church discipline to the church, and God gives the sword to the civil magistrate. So in each of these domains, God gives a sphere of responsibility and oversight, and then he gives tools by which the ordained rulers in those spheres are to rule justly, and the orders, the rules by which they are to rule, and then he calls them to execute those things with blind, with justice and with in faith in Christ. So this is important to the conversation of extreme cases like we're talking about, spousal abuse, sexual abuse, abuse of children, um, where you have to realize that sometimes a sin is not just a sin, but it also becomes the type of sin where another sphere of authority outside of you personally has jurisdiction. Does that make sense, babe? Am I explaining this clearly? That like was kind you of, can't make the call. It's not your call, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and we'll give an extreme example here. Let's say that someone, <laughs> this is, this is going to be a ridiculous example, but let's say that someone came into your house and they uh, killed your wife and then you, you know, stopped them and you had them tied up and you said, now, sir, you've sinned against me, mur- Mr. Murderer, you've killed my wife. And, um, you need to repent of that sin and ask me for forgiveness. And they said, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't have done that. It was absolutely sinful. I have no excuse. Please forgive me. And you said, sir, I forgive you absolutely. Christ died for me. And so you untie him and you send him off on his way and you begin to make funeral arrangements for your wife. What's wrong with that situation? Well, he could have been playing you the whole time and like turn around and go murder someone next door after that. Yeah, that is actually one of the reasons behind the civil law. That's right. The problem is that the law of God for first-degree murder requires the death penalty, and that you do not have the jurisdiction to make the call about releasing that person. Do you have the authority, if the person is repentant and asks for forgiveness, to forgive them? Yes. But do you have the authority to clear them of criminal wrongdoing? No, you do not. You don't have that authority. So you actually have a duty before God in that circumstance. Regardless of the process of personal peacemaking with the murderer, you have a duty before God to reach to uh, reach out to the civil magistrate appropriately in your jurisdiction, which is most likely the police. In your, your circumstance, you tie them up and you call the police and you basically turn them over to that, uh, that sphere of government that has been given the sword. You can see as well that there are sometimes situations within the church that where the the church needs to step in and exercise proper uh, church discipline. But we're going to focus 
largely on the civil sphere in this case. So let's get specific now about different circumstances where this might be relevant to you. Some of those um, common ones that we'll list are like violence against uh, a spouse, domestic violence. I mean, we have several law enforcement folks in our circles, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one even in our church who will happen to listen to this since he edits the sound for Pryarth Podcast. He's a works for the I sheriff's don't think office. You guys made a funny, you made a a, a joke recently on Hard Men about mm-hmm. Ray being. Uh, I don't know if you guys actually said cop or sheriff's deputy, what you uh-huh. said, but I don't think anyone got it. No I got it got because it. Yeah. I knew who yeah. he was, but no one else got yeah, it. Yeah, we're like, kind of Ray, Ray works opportunity. for the, yeah. Ray works for the sheriff's uh, department, so the sheriff's office. So he, he would be, anybody that's in law enforcement like for, for virtually any length of time is familiar with domestic disputes because it's it's a huge part of what they have to deal with on a day-in and day-out basis. Let's say that you discover that somebody in your church even, because these are real and difficult situations, has been violently abusing their spouse. In that situation, is it appropriate for you to just sort of say, well, I'm going to kind of let them deal with that and maybe kind of work through it? And I would say, no, it's actually not appropriate for you to do that because you're now aware of a crime that's being committed that is threatening the safety of of an innocent victim and maybe they they've sinned too in some ways, but I mean, innocent in the sense of you're not free to assault somebody Mm -hmm. to settle differences or to settle marital disputes. And so what should you do? And I understand that there are certain circumstances where you might need to seek wisdom from like, I'm not saying every single thing is like the second you hear about any situation, no matter what, if there's any glimmer of, a crime at all that you must immediately call 911. That's not necessarily what I'm saying, though many situations do call for that, is that in that situation, you probably do need to take the next step in involving uh, a, a person who has jurisdiction to deal with the type of sin that's being committed, especially if it's a crime. Same goes for child abuse, sexual abuse. Um, and, and I think what happens is that sometimes people out of a misplaced sense of Christian peacemaking fail to do what is actually owed before God as your duty, which is to follow the pathway of justice as God has prescribed. Our friends Trevor and Autumn Perkins own and operate the Kings Ridge Elderberry Farm in East Central Indiana. They believe, as Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. From the antioxidant and vitamin-rich berries to their knowledge of plants and soils and the ridge where their plants are cultivated, they grow American elderberries because their berries have higher quantity and more stable antioxidants than their European counterparts. Kings Ridge is a quality-oriented family farm focused on building Christendom. Whether you need tasty elderberry syrup or want the highest quality, fresh frozen juice or berries for making syrups, jams, pies, or wine, Don't buy dried European elderberries and support the global economic agenda. Visit tkrfarm.com and purchase your elderberry needs from the Kings Ridge elderberries. That's tkrfarm.com or click the link in the description of this episode. So this also means that you're not going to be judge, jury, and executioner. You do need to leave room for the civil magistrate to handle things. And I, I do recognize that one of the hurdles that faces us is that there's a very low trust right now yeah. in institutions, in government institutions. Yeah. 
And that's very difficult. Yeah. Because sometimes it's like, wow, I really don't want to do this because I don't want to make it worse and involve. Yeah. But you have to remember that the person who committed the sin is the one responsible for putting themselves in the situation where they might have to go be investigated by a government agency that they don't necessarily, that isn't operating optimally. Yeah. That was their decision. Yeah. And I don't think really any government has been operating completely optimally quite yet in history. Right. Right. People are always going to have um, the excuse of, or, or not even excuse, but the temptation to look at the imperfection or failures of the governing bodies surrounding them and and then end up covering things up, not dealing with things properly, and not actually just simply obeying God to their harm and a lot of people's harm. Yeah. So so really quickly, just as a as a caveat, we're not necessarily talking about like in this episode how to establish criminal guilt. We're not saying believe every single report that you hear right away without hearing all sides or allowing a process of establishing guilt or not to happen. What we are saying is that in many cases, you are not the appropriate person to make that investigation. So if you hear a serious allegation, erring on the side of reporting to an authority that has the ability to carry that out that investigation is going to be often the correct call. Instead of you saying, well, man, I heard that this man in the church has, you know, he's being accused by his wife or some children in the church of sexual abuse. You know what? I better do an investigation to find out what's happening. Well, no, you're, you're not the right jurisdiction. You, you, <laughs> oh you don't have the authority. You don't need to put on your detective badge and go start interviewing witnesses. If, if you hear a credible threat or, a, I mean, a, sorry, a credible report that something like that has taken place you're not assuming it's true by reporting it to the right authorities and saying, authorities, you need to investigate this. This is what I heard. You need to talk to this person that's made this report. You need to encourage the person that you've heard it from to go make that report themselves in a timely fashion. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is in your, you're entrusting uh, that situation to, a, to a, a, an authority that has actual jurisdiction where you don't. The thing is, if you don't do that, you can end up actually sinning yourself. And one of the things that actually really, I, this didn't surprise me, I guess, but just makes this all the, all the more difficult, is it, something I think all of us know, and that is that most child abuse victims, for example, are going to be abused by somebody who knows them. In, in fact, I'm looking at this chart from Crime and Law Enforcement Statistics in 2021, and more children each year, or in 2021, were abused by volume, by the total number of victims, by their mother than by anybody else. 210,000 plus children were abused by their mother. This, doesn't inc- this isn't just sexual abuse. It's, it's abuse well, I was going to say, what year was this, too? 2021. Interesting. Okay. 132,000 by the father, 111,000 by both parents, 34,000 by a mother and a non-parent, so like a boyfriend. Okay. 31,000 by a relative... Uh, 18,000 by an unmarried parent of a partner or partner of a parent and then father and a non-parent was 6,500. And it goes all the way down to like neighbor, foster parent, child daycare provider. And then there's an other category that's like 18,000 and there's a lot of strangers and things like that involved in that category. But the biggest category is direct family. It's a parent. 
And I suspect the mother one is so high because single motherhood is so prevalent. That's what I was going to say. And even not for single moms, moms are, they just are more often with children. Yes, exactly. So I, I'm, I'm telling you this because one of the very difficult aspects of this is that what that means is that sometimes somebody that you actually must report is a parent in your church. Mm, yeah. And that's really difficult. And I think what you might be tempted to is fear or cowardice or an, a misplaced sense of love for the um, potential abuser. And again, I'm not saying you assume a report is true. I'm absolutely not saying that. Yeah. And it, and sometimes with kids too, sometimes I do think it's hard to know with kids because they just, they say things. They really mm-hmm. do just say things. Yeah. I learned when teaching, um, I learned that, that CPS actually won't often make an investigation until there's a third charge, which is uh-huh. interesting considering like two or three witnesses. Just because of like children saying weird things that... I'm assuming that's part of why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even I remember there were actually two times when I was teaching that I had to call parents. One of them was very black and white. This is wrong. The other one, I remember talking to my boss about it essentially. Yeah. And I was like, I'm uncertain if this child was really saying it or wasn't saying it. It was just weird. Yeah. And they said, you know what? We need to err on the side since it is a child. We need to err on the side of protecting the child. And mm-hmm. that's when I found out about the rule. She had said, yeah, if it's a first offense, it's not going to be, or a first report, report it's right. not going to be as serious, but you want to be, you know, on top of it. So yeah. Anyways. So we're talking about right now so far, pretty much very black and white circumstances. Like somebody comes to you and they say, this happened to me. It's clearly a crime, whether a child or adult, and it's clearly a serious, you know, sort of matter. And then you go, yes, that's absolutely needs to be investigated by somebody. Ah, but I'm, what if, what if more worse things happen because this investigation than if I had said nothing or man, what if, what if this is not true? Or, um, I, I really like that person. I don't want to believe this. And what you need to do in those very black and white situations is you just say those those are not my duties. My duty is to report this to a person with jurisdiction who can go and determine, hopefully, what did happen. So do you think that people should go and tell the person as well? Like, this is, I mean, that's all over the board because it depends on what's happening. Yeah, most of the time I would say not necessarily. Yeah, probably Particularly not. if we're talking about, like, s- sexual abuse. Um, you know, if, if, I'm, if, let's say it's a man is accused of sexual abuse in the church, mm-hmm. I'm not saying go talk to him and then call the police, necessarily. I'm saying, oh, you just heard a credible threat. If it's a type of situation where you can urge the person to report and tell them, based on what you've told me, I have no choice. I need to report this to the police, and I would urge that you would make a report as well. Mm -hmm. We could go right now, and you could make that report to the police. I'll come with you. If there's anything you're concerned about, let me help you. (laughs) In in the times I've been involved, too, it really is a... If you're serious, we're doing this right now. Mm-hmm. You don't delay it. You don't no. trust them to do it because things it. get messier at that point. Yes. And it keeps people honest. Yeah. If if I'm let me give you an example. If I'm a pastor in counseling one on one or or let's say, you know, if it's with a lady or, or a child, like with another pastor as well, just in our policy, and we hear some kind of credible report of a of a crime that's been committed that's like not Oh man, I shoplifted from 7-Eleven when I was 14. But a serious allegation against somebody, especially ongoing. Um, we're going to say, listen, we we have to report this right now. 
Mm-hmm. We, we're obligated. There's there's no gray area here. We we're going to report this. We would like to have you know have you come and help and and do that as well. Come along, make a report. And and there's going to be lots of complicated situations you can immediately get into that we're not going to try to predict every rabbit trail. But that's what we're talking about: clear black and white cases. I will say as well that there can be situations that are not as black and white where you are unsure of what to do genuinely. I've been in these situations too. You know, not even that long ago have I been in these situations where I've had to say, not necessarily like out loud to a person, but just go, I'm thinking in my head as I'm hearing something going, I don't really know what to do about this. I'm not sure if it's a reporting issue or not. And so the first thing I'm going to do when I have opportunity, like right away is get additional counsel including other pastors, but also, you know, things like we will talk to law enforcement that we really do. We try to, you need to establish trusted relationships if at all possible, especially if you're a pastor, but this can be just Christians too. Trying to establish helpful contacts in law enforcement communities and legal community is really important because it can give you a safe sounding board when you gen, when you have a genuinely gray area. You can say, this is what happened. Here's the situation. I genuinely do not know what to do. Can you counsel me? And I, if you say that I need to file a police report or something, I will do that. But um, I need help. And then we've had law enforcement say yes and no. Like we've had them say, no, you don't need it. This is this kind of situation. So I'm not saying never seek counsel, but but I am saying if you have a clear black and white serious issue, then you can you can do two things. You can report and seek counsel. Too. Just don't delay unduly. And I know that some different states and jurisdictions have different mandatory reporting laws for different sorts of vocations. So pastors have, in certain areas, have mandatory reporting requirements, and you should know those depending on your vocation. But mainly we're talking to just normal people. The last situation that I would mention, I think we've, we've mentioned this already, but suicide threats can fall into this. And um, suicide actually is a crime, biblically speaking. It's the sin of murder. It's just the murder of self because you don't have the jurisdiction. You don't have the authority to murder yourself. You don't have that authority over your own life. Um, That's why Christians are against medically assisted suicide. That's why Christians are against just suicide in general. But if you hear a suicide threat, um, you should be, of course, trying to get to that person, You know, tell them, urge them, not to do that. You, there's all sorts of coaching and, and uh, resources that you can look at more specifically for su- counseling somebody who's potentially suicidal. Um, but again, that's also a serious thing where you there there are circumstances where there are um, places you can report and get assistance, up to and including psychiatric evaluation and things like that, where uh, you can say to a person, particularly a person that seems to be having some sort of mental break, yeah. which happens. And I know not just pastors, but like family members and extended family and non-Christian neighbors and friends. And uh, this can happen all the time where you're like, I think this person might be in a mental break. Maybe there, there are substances involved. And what you can do in that situation is urge the person to check themselves in for, for evaluation. And I'm not even blanket endorsing tools like mm-hmm. psych, psychiatry mm-hmm. and, and all of that right now necessarily. But I am saying that there are situations where I would rather that yeah. than a person end their own life. Correct. Yeah. It's not ideal, but it is, mm-hmm. it is the, 
obviously safer option. Yeah. And again, it's, it's on the person who has um, made the threat or committed the crime. It's there. They bear the responsibility for the consequences of that. You don't, you will bear the responsibility for the consequences of your actions in, in response to being made aware of a situation. So what we're urging in this episode is not to misunderstand us, number one, when we talk about personal peacemaking and going to the person privately and all this stuff, um, that is absolutely 99.97% of your Christian life dealing with sin and conflict. That's what's going to be and should be and do that. But there are these extreme cases or situations where there's a crime that's been committed or is being threatened to be committed where you may need to follow different protocol. And I want you to have a category for that. So you understand that you're not copping out and you're not disobeying God in like cheating. No, you're actually doing the right thing. You're saying, I don't have jurisdiction here. I may have personal peacemaking jurisdiction where after the authorities have gone through their process, then absolutely I should be for, even with the murderer, even with the abuser, I should be for that person being restored in Christian fellowship yeah. even if they have to face criminal charges uh, and consequences for what they've done. Sucky circumstances all around. Yeah, it is. We really don't have anything else, I think, to to add to this episode. Any any last thoughts from that we, things we've missed, maybe? No. Questions? No, I can't think of any. Do feel free to send in a question on that form. Oh, what oh, was that? I, w- I will say, okay, the one thing I've thought is you guys have done a really good job of helping wives who are not married to believers who turn out to be criminals, like how to help them think through turning their husbands in. Mm. Does that make sense? Cause yeah, that can be a situation. Well, I guess you haven't. No, you, you have previous pastors that I won't name on air. Also, I was involved in a situation where a wife had to report a husband. Yes. And we had another situation similar to that. And I yeah. just, I, I know the wives were hesitant to, mm-hmm. But yeah. but I remembered you know the pastor sitting down with her and me you know and reading Romans five and then saying yeah. and now we're gonna walk to the police office. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's that's worth noting that yeah. if you are in a situation where somebody is sinning against you in a way that's also a crime and particularly in serious ways like being physically violent or threatening to be physically violent to you to children, you may feel guilt that would prevent you from appealing to the authorities that God has placed, but you have to think about it that way. God has placed certain authorities in different spheres, and he is ruling through them. Like They have a responsibility, and and they're imperfect rulers, and many of them aren't even Christians, Um, but God put them there, and he put them there to uphold justice. So if you're in that situation, it's, it's perfectly consistent, for example, with a wife having a gentle and quiet spirit, Mm-hmm. And seeking the good of her husband, yes, to also criminally report her husband for serious crimes. Yeah, because the times where I've seen a wife, not even under the guise of a gentle and quiet spirit, maybe just cowardice, fear, who yeah. does not report her husband or get him help yeah. or you know access help herself for the situation, there's way more devastation involved yeah. down the road than if she would have just you know been honest about things. Yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and this is one of the reasons that God has put more authorities in the world. He didn't yes, make a world yeah. that's just, there's just fathers or yeah. husbands, and that's it. There's no other authority. He said, 
there's going to be husbands, there's going to be mothers who are a kind yeah. of authority. There's going to be um, civil magistrates. There's going to be pastors and elders and overseers that are going to be a kind of authority. There's going to be lots of authorities in the world, and they're going to check and balance one another. And uh, they're going to submit in different areas each to the other. Yeah. So a police officer submits to his pastor in the context of his ecclesial authority, and a pastor submits to the police officer in the context of his civil authority. And they all submit to the judge in context of his civil authority. And the children obey mom and dad in the context of the family authority. But they also obey the law not to steal or murder. Like, we're all living in these earthly, within these earthly kingdoms and realms, Mm -hmm. and God is the one who set those authorities there. Yeah, It's not that you have like, Christ rules spiritually, and then he doesn't rule in physical matters. No, he does rule. He rules through magistrates and fathers and pastors. And and this is, you know, this is literally classical two kingdoms theology. This is a, a lot of what people, I think, mean by sphere sovereignty. And a lot of the language we've used is kind of sphere sovereignty language, but it's pretty consistent with classical two kingdoms as well. I mean, don't let that trip you up. Oh, I see what you're saying. I was, okay. Yeah, I mean, classical two kingdoms framework which is the like a tradi- the the com- most common like reformed concept of these sorts of things would would uh, understand that the common kingdom that includes temporal matters Christ rules over that through earthly institutions the state the family that and and then he also rules over the spiritual kingdom uh, his his saints in a different way but he rules over both so don't let that trip you up if you're a two kingdoms or a theonomist or whatever it is. Don't let that trip you up. We're, we're talking about very similar concepts that apply in the in in all of those conceptual frameworks. I think in similar ways. So don't let that hang you up if that's hanging you up here. That's not really what we're trying to address. But yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it is important to say like if you are the victim of a crime, you should not feel a misplaced sense of guilt for appealing to the correct authority that God has instituted for justice. Correct. And, and, and sometimes you have an obligation to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have an obligation to. You know, you mentioned earlier in the episode, I think, that one of the reasons, or I can't remember how this came up, but one of the reasons why we are to do this is because we're not God. And so we may be trying to prevent some bad thing that we don't want to have happen, like the police miscarry justice or someone be wrongfully convicted. But instead, what, we've, what we might end up doing is trying to play God. Yes, yeah. And then a lot of other bad things happen, like a, a, a criminal victimizes or sins against criminally other people that could have been uh, saved or delivered had the civil authorities known and done yeah. their duty. Well, and I th- and you think about this like a different realm of authority, but like pastors who are not removed from ministry for disqualification, right? How much havoc that wrecks on yeah. so many people, and oftentimes they don't stop at whatever that one sin is yeah, that disqualifies right. them; they keep going. So, yeah, you don't you don't want that to happen. Yeah, it's one of the reasons in our membership interviews, uh, a question we ask every single potential member of our church is. Would you have the fortitude to bring charges against an elder who is caught in sin? Should you know and have adequate witnesses? Mm-hmm. And we ask that question because the last thing we want is for a pastor who has spirit, who has a real authority in his vocation in the church, in our church, to be disqualified from that office and somebody know that they're disqualified and because of cowardice or misplaced loyalty, fail to bring that charge. And then they actually end up being complicit 
in the sins that that disqualified man goes out and continues to commit against other people. Oh, it reminds me of Tulian Chavidian. Chavidian, yeah. Oh, with that guy that was like, it's because of everything he's gone through that he's really qualified. Qualifies him more for this, and it's like, no, (laughs) no, (laughs) absolutely not. (laughs) It's absurd. It's it's a evidence of our antinomianism and the specific antinomianism of that corner of the church world. But yeah, you you need to make sure that you don't have some sort of misplaced. Well, I guess I guess my point in bringing that up though is that that is often what people are thinking is like grace abounds where oh, sin yeah. abounds or well it is antinomianism yeah. but that would be the reason is they feel bad because it's like well grace can redeem this too and it's like yes yeah. and maybe the redemption is through the higher authorities yeah this is <laughs> this is sometimes what leads churches to cover up sexual abuse correct not even intending to cover up sexual abuse yeah but they go and think like oh we'll, we'll handle this and no. your uh, pastors do not have the jurisdiction well, is the oh, point. Another, they just don't. Well, I don't, I don't know what I think about this. I'm not going to bring it up. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've thought of like 15 things. I'm like, eh, let's not bring it up. Let's not muddy the water. So hope this has been helpful. Feel free to send in your questions. I would say as well that you should, in many of these situations, if you have a specific question and you don't know what to do, the person you should be asking is probably your pastors or in some cases, law enforcement. So if you have questions where you just don't know what to do, you're not sure if it's a gray area, a black area, black and white, or what it is. Um, get counseling. Like, don't wait. Get counseling and try to figure out how to act righteously. When you're confused about a situation, our goal should always be, Lord, how can I act righteously in this situation and fulfill my duties? And then go do those duties quickly. And sometimes you need help in figuring that out. Um, so don't be rash. But um, we hope that this episode, even though it's sobering and it's a heavy topic, that it's genuinely helpful to you and uh, can prepare you for you know the the unfortunate reality of life under the the sun in a fallen world to act righteously and this is part of being salt and light this is part of being Christ's kingdom on earth and his people and his saints don't let either direction sort of sway you don't let the whole you know everything woke and believe all women and um, women never lie about being uh, sexually abused. Well, yes, they do. Sometimes we know Potiphar's wife, for example. And at the other, in the other direction, don't react to that and become complicit in sins that are also crimes by failing to report things because you think that you're the one that has the jurisdiction to investigate. Often you're not. You have a duty to make the report to the person who does, and then you pray and you hope that justice is upheld. Um, Don't fall in either ditch is what I'm saying. And don't be a reactionary on this. Um, Think deeply, have biblical principles uh, down in your bones so that you can act justly uh, and humbly when uh, the time, hopefully it doesn't, but if the time should come in your life where you do need these principles. So that said, thanks for listening, everybody, to this episode of Bright Hearth, and uh, we'll catch you next time. God bless.